today on Owl Have You Know. People are using their talent and trading in their suits for what makes them happy. And they didn't realize that that was an option until they were taken off the hamster wheel. Welcome back, folks, to the Owl Have You Know podcast. Uh, I'm very excited today. I have a very dynamic personality on Shay Hornsby. What, what? <laughs> I wish we had video on for the podcast because you can see right. all these gesticulations that she's <laughs> putting on my screen. So Shay Hornsby, uh, my goodness, you are, uh, you've been in human resources. Um, you've done a lot for Rice University. You're also the host of the Cool Careers podcast, which was a 2021 Best Black Business Podcast Award winner. And there's a lot there, but I just want to say first and foremost, welcome to Owl Have You Know. I'm so happy to be here, David. Thank you for inviting me. It's such a pleasure and an honor. All right. We're going to be fast and furious today. And and the Cool Careers Podcast, uh, from what I understand, you wrote out that it's for helping folks to gain awareness and insight on the job search, career development, and career opportunities so why don't we start there? Obviously, that's a passion point for you. So what was the inspiration for you to start the Cool Careers podcast? Me starting the podcast was still a big shock to myself. So I'm happy to be a podcaster. And I'm happy that I really created it. But I am a um, HR recruiter in my spirit, in my blood. And it's been a part of my journey most of my or at least half of my life now. And so most of my conversations are about people's careers, their resumes, where they're doing next. And me really starting a podcast was doing something that I always do, which is advising and showing and introducing and connecting people for the next level, the next step. But this just allowed me to do it on a bigger scale. So I utilize my network and their networks. <laughs> I invite people on to talk about their journey and what they do really for exposure so people can know what they can do. There's a lot of times you sit in your space and you don't know that that role even exists. So that's what I really wanted for the podcast. The advising and um, learning really comes from the uh, guest. Um, and then every once in a while, I'll give out, you know, through content and social media, some advice and other little small tidbits. But it's mostly learning through conversation and connecting. Let's focus on the, the human resources uh, part for a little bit. I remember in school that there was a there was an HR club. And I was always curious, what is it that motivated people to get into human resources? So You've just mentioned you'd like to, to help people to better understand what career opportunities are available to them and maybe what, what their next step is. And so what are some of the most, I would say, rewarding components of when you have these conversations with people? What's the most rewarding either conversation or experience that you've had in that space? They're countless, honestly, because I've spoken with individuals to help them um, negotiate their salaries right? And people don't even know that they have the opportunity to reject and offer a different salary. There's conversations where I've had with students that say, hey, I'm going to go to this college and it works out and they graduate. I've had that because I've also done university recruiting. There are opportunities where I've, because I also worked overseas and done global recruiting. Um, 
And so you change people's lives. You move them from one country to the next, their whole family, and it creates an entire opportunity for them. So going into HR and going into recruiting, even though it wasn't, I would say, planned, I think recruiting found me instead of I found recruiting. It's been definitely a part of my spirit. It feels like a give back. It gives like you get to really impact people's lives um, on a daily basis. So I can't really think of one particular conversation that um, that I've had, but I would definitely say that when I first started in recruiting, I started at a staffing agency and we did light industrial and clerical type roles. It was very like entry level. And that really changes a lot of things. It puts very much in perspective. I was young, I was 19-ish, and people were living at the YMCA and coming to have jobs. And then within a year, they're like a shift leader uh, at the Mary Kay plant, right? With an apartment and a car. Like those things are impactful. And to see people's journeys, I that really impacted me. And I really wanted to explore that more, which is why I do what I do. So you didn't go to rice business. Um, <laughs> and so you're a little bit different than most of the guests that have come on. So can you help to understand um, how you intersect with Rice University or the Rice Business Program? So, yes, I used to work for the executive MBA program. Um, I recruited and I coordinated for the program and with honor um, and mad respect to my time and my space there. I created so many relationships there. I have so much love. It, just me being here and being invited back to Rice or be involved with Rice at any point is always just a, a, a you know, I would say glitter in the sky for me because I have such fond memories of being at Rice. And a lot of my friendships and my connections right now are from being at Rice. So I started at Rice to help with the diversity of Rice. At the time, Rice was known to be male and white. And so Kay Henry, the esteemed Kay Henry, she was the executive director of the program, knew of my work at Reliant when I did diversity recruiting. She says, do you think you can bring that same energy to our program? We need to bring more women. We need to bring, this is Houston. We need to be more diverse. And that's what we did. And we changed some numbers just within the first year of me being there. So I was there for two years and the program changed. Uh, I wish I had some percentages that I should have looked up before we talked um, to help us in our conversation. But I want to say it was around that 27 percent um, increase in women and people of color for the program the first year. And it increased every year after that. So that is my time with Rice. And then as I've progressed in my career, I've created and maintained more and more friendships from my Rice connections. I'm very, very grateful and thankful for all of all of my friendships there. Even getting here, Davina Bajwani uh, was a guest on my podcast and it has helped instrument this conversation um, that we're having right here. But I, there's many people 
like Davina, that's on speed dial that I can call up for various things <laughs> and for help. And we stay in a, a, a group of circle and talk about the same things or we're in the same type of work or we use utilize each other for our network. Hey, do you know this person? Do you know this person? I need help with this. And um, or I'm going to invite you to this party. It's it. It goes, <laughs> it, it's a full circle around here. And it's a real, these are real connections, real relationships. And, and I'm, that I really value because I haven't worked at Rice in what, 15 years. Yet I still have these same connections with these wonderful people. When it comes to recruiting and, and staffing, you've done this function at multiple companies and, and continue to help folks in that space. What are some of the, the common you know, themes in terms of challenges when it comes to organizations going about the project of recruiting and staffing for their organization? <laughs> really, the biggest issue most recruiters have with organizations and hiring managers is them not knowing what they want or thinking they know what they want. So they come to you and they say, hey, David, I want someone like me and just find someone like me and put them in this role. <laughs> That's typically, or or I have someone in mind that I think this would be good at instead of letting it be a competitive process um, or trying to duplicate what they've envisioned for the role. But then when you sit down and talk to them and you look up the you look at the dynamic of their group or their team, and it's like, do you really need another guy in your team? Don't you think that you need a little bit? more can you open up this this playing field for other people to come in it's mostly them living in their own space and just feeling like they have and it's allowed by the organization so i would say that is my first thought of what most people most recruiters have to deal with is managing the expectations of the role trying to find the best person for the role and not necessarily the best idea that you have for the role when it comes to the actual recruiting, of course, you have someone that onboards into an organization. And to your point, there's some challenges there in terms of what could be a, a fit. Maybe in your mind, you think this would be a fit, but maybe you need more diversity, for example. But what about after the fact? Is there a way to confidently be able to measure some kind of KPI that after the recruiting has happened, that there is some meaningful way to be able to to attribute the fact that you say for example didn't just hire for the bromance and <laughs> you hired <laughs> you know, for more diversity and that ended up constituting a win in some meaningful kind of way what would that potentially look like well i don't want to just just a caveat i don't want to make anyone feel like i was picking on guys or assuming that hiring managers are only men so i just want to asterisk that um, but basically how companies typically measure success of a hire is longevity, but that's not always the way to, uh, measure, you know, if that was a great hire, but it is, it is a really good benchmark. Uh, what you want typically the most ideal situation is for that person to be able to take on multiple roles and grow and learn within the organization and contribute continuously in various ways. So as we send you through this program or we send you through this conference or we send you to get this certification, we're investing in you and we want you to utilize it here and not take it other places. 
So I personally think from a recruitment standpoint, it's more about if that person is contributing, growing, and, and staying in the company and not just being there. There's a two different things. So, um, but that's typically how it's measured is, is retention, is the stayability. Uh, I would just like to asterisk and say that it's staying, but contributing and growing. So I want to keep moving forward through this career progression. So you get hired, you start to contribute to, hopefully contribute to <laughs> the company organization that you're in. And to your point, one level of success is longevity and retention. So I've, I've been a part of so many organizations. And you mentioned before this negotiation element that you help people with. And oh my God, I mean, I've been in sales for a long time. I love negotiation. I love it. <laughs> so, and I also know some people shy away from it because negotiation to me is just meeting each other's needs at a higher level. It's just having a conversation and stating what your needs are. How can we come together and optimize our needs? So on the negotiation piece, what I tend to see as I'm out in industry is the longer that you're at a company, the delta, the difference between what your market value is and what you're actually capable of or actually what you're getting compensated for starts to widen and widen. So in the way I correct for that is, is I'll go out and get another offer to see what the market is willing to actually pay for my skills. Because otherwise, you have to assume that the company is going to act in the best interest of the company and try to hold the line in terms of your cost to the to the company, your wages and your salary and your benefits. So how do you reconcile this, this idea that we want to seek to increase longevity and retention as one measure, but there's also, it also becomes a challenge in terms of negotiating or making sure that you are compensated as a function of what the market would properly value at how do you resolve that tension so i would say i would like to say david you're not a rare breed there you could be a part of some type of i would say um a group like an interest group where we could survey all the people who like the negotiating part of of the hire process most men now this is these are facts so most men negotiate. And that is typical and expected. It's us women who don't. And I push my sisters to do so, right? You get what you want. Uh, there's a lot of fear. And then there's a lot of sometimes pushback on negotiating. So good for you. Keep that going. <laughs> but what companies could, are going to have to get better at is compensating people the way they want to be compensated. Because just because David is interested in more pay doesn't mean that Shay wants more pay. I might want more stock options or time off, work-life balance. Um, pay may not be in my top three. So we have to be, we have to do better for, especially uh, employees with great tenure, if you're not placing them at market value and ensuring that they're not going to go anywhere else, 
you need to make sure that you're sustaining them in another way where they can feel compensated, but not in the way you think they're going to be compensated. Right. It's like, oh, but we have this state of the art gym. Oh, we have this state of the art daycare center on site. But David doesn't have any kids. He doesn't care about the state of the art daycare. Maternity or paternity leave. You know, because <laughs> I don't yet. have any kids. So not I, yet. yeah, not, not yet. yet. You know. <laughs> so they need to speak to David now, but they are also speaking for David later on in life. And I understand that. But what if David never has any kids? And you, what about if David never has any dependents to really utilize that great healthcare plan that you've spent so much money subsidizing? So we have to get better at speaking to our employees individually and understanding what their long-term needs are because they make it very clear what their needs are, right? There's goals, annual goals every year, and these are what we're going to achieve. And this is what we're going to achieve in the next five years, et cetera, et cetera. And so everyone has to understand that when you work for a corporation, like these are the company goals. Um, so we need to do that on the flip side. If we're not smarter, if, if companies are not smarter about this, this is how they're going to start losing more and more people on the market. And what we're seeing in, um, of what we're seeing in the market right now with it being so employee based and there's such of a gap in the divide and the work placement and what's available on the market, this will continue because basically you're not giving people an idea or a chance or a reason to return to you. And especially if you're speaking generationally, there's a thing with generational recruiting. So you recruit in that generation. So you, David, are going to not appreciate that gold watch that your grandfather might have received after working for that one company for 40 years. You're like, why would I do that? So every person has a need and a want, and that is my personal opinion on how uh, we have to do better and how we are able to bridge that gap. Because you're right, there is a delta. Typically, there's a delta, not in all areas. There are industries that do very well. And we can just, everyone probably knows who, what industries they are because they're, they're the ones everyone's trying to go to. Uh, there, there are industries that do a really, really good job, but even when you're there, there's always a little, you know, whisper of a, or of a complaint. The individual employee, I would say, uh, theory is my theory. I have one more point on the retention piece because this is really interesting. Because as you just alluded to, say 50 years ago, people were expecting pensions and staying at a company for much longer. The professionals that I see in my orbit are not thinking about that. They're not thinking about a pension and how to get to year 40 plus at the same company. They're typically jumping around. That's what most people that are really hungry and want to advance the career are doing. So if that is sort of what's happening at a macro level, then should companies really be optimizing for keeping employees for the long term, knowing that their plan isn't to stay at the company more than a, a handful of years? I think that large companies have the, the greater advantage. Just because you're doing this, you can move to another part of the organization that could be a spinoff of your company or another department. So yes, that might be what, what you're thinking about, David, but if, if that one company was going to give you 
equal to or greater than what the market was going to give you and give you another opportunity with it, just like that other company, then there would be no reason for you to leave. You're leaving because you think that there is greater opportunity somewhere else and that you're missing out on something. Whatever that missing out on, that's the individual part that I'm speaking of. Whatever that missing part is, that if they're able to give that to you, then there's no reason to leave. If you get the money, you get the new role, you get the opportunity to do something different, then you would stay. Now, I'm not going to say you, would, you wouldn't leave forever, but maybe you wouldn't leave so quickly. You wouldn't leave maybe in that three to four years. Maybe you would leave in that eight year or that 10 year, right? And so, and, the, and that's typically how they operate in a more 10 year type cycle anyway. So you get 10 years out of someone's career. That, that's really great, especially in the next generation for sure. So I want to shift to the great resignation. And this has been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of headlines on the great resignation this year, this idea that there's this mass exodus of uh, people leaving their, their jobs or switching jobs or maybe taking a sabbatical or a hiatus, different flavors of, of resignations. And obviously there's a lot of macro events happening. Obviously, you know, COVID has, has prompted a lot of that. So from your view, what does the great resignation look like to you? Or do you even, even use that term and this, this churn that it's referring to, what does that look like to you? And what does that mean for you know, people's careers? First of all, people got off the hamster wheel. So when you took people off the hamster wheel, they were able to see their landscape a lot better, right? So I personally think of it as liberty or luxury. That's the way I kind of think about it. So people are choosing liberty and not choosing the luxury anymore because you don't need that car that you thought you needed because you're not driving to work. You don't need those great suits and clothes and shoes because no one sees you. You don't need all that food because you're not eating as much. What you've done is you spent more time with your family and you found out that those are the greatest essentials that you need. And people are learning to live with less, maybe more of other things, but less of certain things. And it makes having an eight to five less attractive for many, many people. And the marketplace opened up. So we're moving from brick and mortar. And now that little side hustle that you had, David, that you, when you used to make tables out of wood, and it used to be kind of like a, a little thing that you did on the weekends, and you sold a few tables, but then your wife created an Etsy account for you, and now you have a whole table making business. People are using their talents and trading in their suits for what makes them happy. And they didn't realize that that was an option until they were taken off the hamster wheel. I personally think that's what the great resignation is all about. And you're right, there's different flavors of that. But there are a lot of moms because the market of women in the market, there's nothing happening at work if a mother is not happy right? So how is she going to go to work if her kids can't go to school? So these moms have been so creative with trying to be at home, 
living on less and maybe they only need that one salary. Maybe it is more important that I create a carpool business in my neighborhood than going killing myself over here when I'm only going to get whatever I'm going to get that they told me it was so great, but they laid me off or they furloughed us. So maybe I'm not as important as I thought I was. So I'll just go and focus on myself. So these different flavors and different avenues for people, everyone has their own circumstance, but I think it's a, it's, it was the question of liberty or luxury and people chose liberty and people will continue to choose liberty as they see that it's working for other individuals. If companies don't become smarter and talking to the individual Davids around and say, hey, what do you want? What can I do to keep you staying here? When you talk about uh, companies being you know, more adaptable or more flexible in terms of you know, how they have those conversations with people and how they want to grow their career, I think of this idea that, especially when you get really skilled in your craft, like, what if you don't want to work 40 plus hours a week? What if you want to work 30, 20 or 10 and you're okay with less pay? So it seems like there's only like a full-time W-2, 40 plus hours a week, and then maybe some kind of contractor role, which has its own challenges. So what would you recommend for folks that, to your point, are wanting to optimize more for liberty versus luxury and don't really want that that heavy rock of this has to consume all of your bandwidth if you're going to work for this company, but you also want to offer up your skills as well. Like, what does that sort of solution space look like where you can still apply your skills, just not at the clip that most companies are looking for? I think that we just have to be more creative. People are not, you know, using their creativity. If David only wants to work 30 hours, then so be it. Then you find the David interface, the other David to twin up and, and, and it becomes a job sharing. That job sharing is a, is a, is a thought that was mostly for, um, I would say, textile or manufacturing, that sort of thing. When you work shift work, right? Back in the day when we had, I mean, we still have it. We still have plants and that sort of thing. But I think back in like the 50s when that was the, you know, the manufacturing business was a big deal. That's what you did. You worked so many hours and then someone else worked another so many hours. And the 40-hour work week is a kind of a new concept. I wish I had um, so a, little, a, a, little, a little bit more data to talk about that with you more intellectually. But um, that wasn't us 50 years ago. I mean, you actually had work-life balance. And I think that that's coming back. So we just have to be smarter and sharper and more creative. We can create whatever we want. We don't have to have it in this way. If it's more conducive for, for your employees to be happier and to give you 30 hours of really strong work week, but 40 hours worth of results, then so be it. That, that, that's kind of my mindset. But of course, I'm not an executive sits at a board meeting. <laughs> um, and 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 are thinking about the the bottom line and all that kind of good stuff. But happy employees make better brand ambassadors for you, and um, and they're going to get people to come and work for you when they're happy. And uh, I think that uh, that has been seen and shown like over and over again. So 
And this great resonation, everything that you're seeing that we're talking about, it was bound to happen anyway. It was bound to happen. It's just sped it up because we're all changing with the new workforce. The baby boomers are retiring and there's a new entry of, um, of, of workers that's coming in and they're younger and their mindset is a whole lot different than ours. And then you have the millennials coming and they're going to be in management or already in management and they are going to manage differently. They think differently. And so all of us over here, or we're just trying to navigate that. And we're also having a big gap in knowledge, knowledge sharing, um, knowledge transfer, because they should have, we should have this history when the, boom, when the boomers are leaving, but the boomers are leaving. I think I just read the other day, 5,000 boomers are leaving the marketplace every day. So this is a big deal. And, um, and we just have to be creative and try to figure it, figure it out. But it only takes one company to figure it out. And then everyone kind of goes from there. But I personally think it's, um, to, to fully answer your question, I personally think it is making the work week whatever you want it to be. And if it's 20 or 30 or 40 hours, so be it. And I think that we're going to have to, companies are just going to have to change, change their mindset. Because everyone that works for them has changed their mindset. So, you know, and we're the, we're, the, we're the biggest asset of the organization. You don't have a company without people. So if that's true, then you need to cater to those people and give them what they want. And they'll give you what you want. And I feel like that is, that would be, like you said, the trust, the trusting relationship that you have for each other. I'll share one mini story that I ran into after I received my MBA, and then then I want to hear a little bit more about uh, what's next for you, and we'll land the ship, and how folks will connect with you if they want to advance the conversation or continue the dialogue. The thing that surprised me the most about getting an MBA is my intention was to go into a tech startup afterwards, whether it was Austin or go out to the Bay Area. Turns out, after I got my MBA. I was too expensive. <laughs> Startups couldn't afford me. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. This is a recruiting question. Would you lower your your expectations on salary if they reimbursed you for your loans? Yeah, there's a lot uh, to your point about creativity. I, I think you know the actual salary is a, one small part of the overall picture. So if there was some kind of loan repayment program, obviously that would help as well as all the other things, you know, lifestyle, flexibility, uh, perks, upside commissions, you know, sales comp plan. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So, so yes, absolutely. I always look at things holistically. And to your point, it's, it's a partnership. That's right. So if they gave you an offer and they say, hey, David, we want to give you this offer. Uh, we'll help you uh, with the loan repayment. We'll give you an X amount for every year and it will increase every year for the next X amount of years. I bet you you'd stay and you would think about those things, right? So this is what I'm speaking about. It's the creativity of it and speaking to that person and not speaking to masses. People don't want to be one of many. They want to be one. Yeah, absolutely. And the creativity piece, I, I love that because that's, that's to me, business is creativity. And so as I'm going out and working with businesses, um, I'm, I'm throwing them a curveball. I'm saying, I don't, I don't need the cash. I want ownership of your company. Like I want a stake in your company. 
you know, and, and that's that's very different, right? It's like, hey, no, 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 I want to partner with you. I want ownership with, with you so that way we can grow this thing together. So what I hear, what you want, David, is you want a salary, you want you want um, loan repayment, and you also want stock options. If you if you just think about the few two or three things that rise to the top, those could be your things because you're not utilizing the medical program like I would. I'm a family of four, right? So you're already less expensive than the next person. So there is no reason why not to give you a few other things that you might need for one. Well, let's land the ship. What is next for Shay Hornsby? What's um, what's your next great endeavor? You obviously have the Cool Careers podcast. Everyone, please check that out. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on the interwebs. Uh, but what's the next great thing for you? Yeah, I am. I've been told I should write a book, so I'm kind of looking into that. But definitely, please join me for season three of my podcast, which is um, which will start next spring. Um, we already have a great lineup. I'm trying to uh, invite more HR individuals. So I'll probably have a lot more um, advising, especially in this market when people are in limbo of trying to make the decision um, and, and land the right place. Cause that's what it is. The people that are, that are interested in being out in the corporate world want the right thing, not just a thing. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in season three, but I am um, talking to um, some prospective book consultants about, um, a, you know, advice book for, um, for readers and career people that are interested in the career path. So that's what's exciting for me, I would say right now. All right. So well, let's, we'll keep our eyes peeled for the book um, by Shay Hornsby. Thank you for coming on. And finally, you have a, a lot of presence online on the interwebs. What's the, the best way for folks tuning in they want to reach you or ask follow-on questions, what's the best way to connect with you? Well, I think what makes sense in this for this audience, David, is um, LinkedIn because uh, I have my business, excuse me, my largest audience is on LinkedIn. I just made it to a thousand followers there. Mm-hmm. Um, Saw that. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I've, uh, my, my podcast is two seasons old. And so uh, to be an award winner after releasing 24 episodes is amazing. And I'm really happy about that. Um, but most of everything that you would find and you need to know uh, would be released on LinkedIn. But I'm, on, I'm streaming on all major platforms. So you can listen on Apple and iHeartRadio or however you receive your podcast. Um, but as far as information, um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm Cool Careers Podcast on all platforms. All right, Shay, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations again on the award that she received the 2021 best black business podcast award congratulations on in advance on the book and folks please reach out to shay hornsby on her linkedin and check out the cool careers podcast take care folks thank you david bye-bye this has been i'll have you know thanks for listening you can find links and more information about our guests hosts and announcements on our website business.rice.edu Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it. Let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Christine Dobbin, and David Drew Gleaver. 